Amen. If you would take your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We've been in this chapter for a few weeks now. And last week we saw that Jesus was in Samaria. And he comes to the, the, what we know as the woman at the well. The woman at Jacob's well. This Samaritan woman. And he approaches her. And they have this conversation about water. And he uh, turns the conversation from physical water to uh, spiritual water. Or satisfying that eternal thirst. And, and he begins to address her life. And she comes to the place where she believes on Jesus. She goes back to uh, the town there of Sychar. And, and at this time, his disciples come back to him. And he has a conversation with them about spiritual meat. And then we see the townspeople begin to come to Jesus. And, and the Bible tells us that many of them believed on him. And they begin to give Jesus honor. He stays there for two days. If you look with me at chapter 4, verse 43. Now after two days... He departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus, after two days of being with these uh, Samaritans that have believed on him and are trusting in him, he's probably teaching them and instructing them uh, during these two days. He chooses to leave and he chooses to go back to Galilee, a place where the Bible tells us that he will get no honor. We're told earlier in the book of John that he came unto his own and his own received him not. But Jesus chooses to leave this place where he's getting all this attention and all this honor and he's being received to go to Galilee. He had done his ministry there in Samaria. He had reached these people and his, his goal was not to stay there and to be honored and glorified, but his goal was to take his message now back to the Galileans. But John tells us that as he enters into Galilee, as he comes back to this place, he is welcomed. And this brings us to our first point this morning. And the first thing I want you to see on this topic of faith or authentic faith is that all faith is not real faith. All faith is not authentic faith. We will see in the lives of these individuals that there's some false concepts of faith out there. And the same thing is true in the world which we live in today. Many people come to church. Many come, people come to Jesus, not with true faith, not to believe on him as Savior, but for many, for many different reasons. For some, maybe it's curiosity. And that's where these people were. They, want, they had seen and heard about the signs and wonders that Jesus had done. And they wanted to see the spectacle for themselves. They, they weren't really who they were, looked to be on the outside. They really wanted to, to see a show. And this really wasn't anything new. Turn back maybe a page to chapter number 2 and verse 23. The Bible says, now when he was in Jerusalem... At the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But notice his response in verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that they should testify of man for he knew what was in them. This was a group of people that came to Jesus and they wanted to see the show. 
And, and they weren't fooling Jesus. Jesus understood that. And he, knew, he knew their heart. And, but they came out of curiosity. There was something that they, they wanted to see. And we'll see later in, in the gospel that these are the same people that are going to cry for Jesus' crucifixion. Many people come to church out of, out of curiosity, out of, out of wonder. Other people come out of, out of guilt. We live in, in sin and we live in a sinful world. We find ourselves maybe doing some bad things and, and we want those things taken care of. And we kind of believe that if we just you know, show up to, to church, then our sins will be, will be, taken, will be taken care of. This is kind of the, uh, the Catholic method of, of confession. Listen, I can go out and live however I want and live my life and immorality and fornication and live as the pagan world lives and then I'll I'll just show up on a Sunday morning and, hey, praise God, I'm, I'm good to go. And that, that guilt is taken care of for, for just a moment. You know, that's kind of like the Old Testament system. They had to sacrifice, and, and then they fell, found themselves back in sin, and they'd have to sacrifice again. And we, we think that's kind of how, how this religious thing works, how this church thing works. We'll, we'll just live however we want in our sin, and then we'll show up, and, and, and we can feel better about ourselves. Listen, you might feel better in the moment, but your guilt, your sinfulness is not taken care of because you show up and to, to quote unquote, see Jesus or to be in church. Other people come to church or even come to Jesus out of expectations. What can I get from this man? What, what the idea is, what can you do for me? And so people come to church to, to get physical help. And they, they want the physical needs taken care of. And we kinda, we've seen that a few times now, uh, particularly with this woman at the well. She, she came for, to have her thirst satisfied at the, the well. And that was where her focus was before she came to understand who Jesus was. And so many people come to church because they have physical needs that they believe the church is a benevolence organization that they should take care of. Other people come to church for entertainment. Hey, listen, I have nothing else to do, I guess, and so I'm going to show up. And, and that's really seen in how, how we choose our church these days. You know, I'm going to come, and, and if, you know, the, the music is entertaining, if the pastor is, you know, funny or funnier than the guy down the street, then that's where I'll, that's where I'll go to church. It, it doesn't matter about doctrine or theology or, or the truth or, or really even know God or even serving in the church. It's all about what can I get. And, and, and let me, let's be clear. That's kind of the American culture that we live in as far as Christianity today. It's all about consumerism. What, what are you doing for me? What are you giving to me as opposed to, listen, I am a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm coming to, to serve him. I, I want to be served, not served. I, I want you to take care of me. I don't want to help bless you and take care of you. I don't want to be involved. I want to sit in the chair. I want to sit in the pew and I want to do the singing and I want to hear a few jokes and hear a good inspirational message, and then I want to get up and I, I want to leave my way. And so many people come to Jesus for those reasons. Others come because of maybe they're in a crisis or they have an, an emergency. The, the passage that we read, you'll see that this official himself comes to Jesus because he's in the middle of, of a crisis. And Jesus is going to use this opportunity to, to show, the, show him the truth other, you know, some people come for signs and wonders, and they don't really want Jesus. And many will receive Jesus as a miracle worker and, and somebody that can give me help in the moment when I'm, I, I hit rock bottom. Where else am, am I going to go? And, and, and so I have this crisis. 
And as long as he'll take care of this crisis, as long as he'll take care of this situation, you know, we, we see that because many times we find ourselves, you know, in, in hard situations and then, and then God doesn't take care of the consequences. He, he might help us through the situation and even out of the situation, but there's ultimate consequences. And we don't like to be accountable for our actions or for the situations that we're in. And so he doesn't remove the consequences. And so, well, then we have nothing for him. We, we don't want him. And so it didn't come because we want Jesus as our Savior. We came because we wanted him to take care of this crisis or this emergency. I don't know why you're here today. I don't know what you're looking for in life. But I hope today, no matter what you're looking for, that you'll truly meet Jesus Christ today. So before we move on, I want you to understand faith. I want you to have a true understanding about faith. Faith has an intellectual aspect to it. Faith has to have an intellectual aspect to it. We must have knowledge of, of the gospel. It's not just knowledge about how the church operates. It's just not just knowledge of, of knowing the songs and, and knowing the, the verses, but it's knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There must be objective truth which, which becomes the, the object of our faith. The word of God says, how shall, they, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And, and how the, or faith comes by hearing, excuse me, and hearing by the, the word of God. There has to be a content to our, to our message. But the truth is, is it's possible for a person to intellectually acknowledge who Jesus is and the historical facts about Jesus and never trust him as their savior. But it has to start with the knowledge an understanding of the gospel. Many Christians say, you know what, I just, and I believe in lifestyle evangelism. I believe that people can learn about God through our lifestyle and look at us. But listen, they're, they're never going to learn the gospel unless we share that message with them. They have to know the truth of the, the death and the burial and the resurrection. They don't have to know that you're just a good person and that you go to church and that you're a person of faith. They have to come to know the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, understanding faith, not only is there an intellectual aspect to it, there is an emotional aspect. There's an expression of heartfelt agreement. Now I know we get a little nervous when we talk about emotion in the church. We don't want to just get people all stirred up. And, but the truth is, is there is an emotional aspect to our faith. What the mind believes to be true must be embraced by a deeply held conviction. It's often what we call repentance. We have to believe the truth of the gospel and understanding in our whole being who we are before God as sinful people that need to turn from our sin and to turn to Jesus Christ. But then there's a volitional aspect to it. You must trust in Christ. You must trust in Christ, this is an act of the will when a person believes the truth of who Christ is and he repents of his sin. This is, this is an act of your will. Go, simply going to church and going through religious activity does not, does not mean that we are a believer in Jesus Christ, but we must personally choose to turn from our sin and re receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. So with those thoughts on on faith and this biblical concept of a, a genuine faith, 
particularly having knowledge, turning from our sin, and by act of will, receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. I want you, secondly, to see from our passage the consequences of this world. The consequences of this world. Jesus comes back into uh, Galilee, and we see there in verse 26, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Here was a, a, a nobleman, here was a guy that was, for all intents and purposes, wealthy. He had a position, a high position, and he obviously had a family, and he had a, he had a son. And, and, and immediately we begin to see the consequences of the sinful world that we live in. You know, it's in, we love to question why things happen. You think about our country this week, the, the tragedy of, of this, this shooting and, and the sad truth is, as you look out in the landscape of our society and, and, and so many people that say we should mourn and, and be heartbroken over what happened, they're using it for a political agenda and they want to argue and fight to get their positions passed. And, and they're so consumed with their, with their selfishness, they lose sight of the reality of what's happening in our society today. They want to blame guns. And they want to blame this and they want to blame that. But the reality is, is we live in a sinful world. That's what we see. Many people want to question God. Why did God allow this to happen? No, we in our free will choose sin. And sin has consequences. And we see that each and every day in our society. We live in an evil world. A world that is filled with evil and evil people that want to do evil things. And that's the consequences that's the consequences of sin. People want to figure out, how do we overcome this? How do we fix this problem? But nobody wants to turn to God. We, we want to blame God, but nobody wants to turn to God. Nobody wants to come to the place where they repent of their sin and, and they get into the Word of God and they apply biblical principles. Let's figure it out in our own will and our own understanding. Let's figure it out in our own power and our own ability. And that's constantly going to fail because we're sinful people trying to figure out solutions in a sinful way with sinful thinking. We look at this noble man and we see the consequences of this world. Wealth. Wealth does not remove the consequences of sin. You know, the, the wealthiest among us, the richest people in the world have the same consequences that the poor, the poorest among us do. You know, listen, cancer doesn't discriminate. Car accidents and people being killed and, and tragedies, they don't discriminate. We're all affected by, and our position and our power and our status in this world does not change the fact that we are all affected by the consequences of sin. And let me tell you, my friend, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much power you have, no matter how much resources you have here in this physical world, when you die and stand before God, you have nothing in and of yourself that's going to make you in right standing with God. We're, we're all separated from God because of our sin, and we all deserve hell. Wealth does not take, does not remove the consequences from this man's life. We also see that sickness impacts all ages. It, it wasn't an, an old man that was sick unto death. It wasn't an old lady that was dealing with some sickness. And we see that over and over in our society today. You can go to children's hospitals all around this country and all around this world, and you find 
little kids. We hear of people dying on a regular basis of all different ages, and we saw that even, even this week. Life, we say, is but a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. You're not promised this afternoon. Sickness and death will pass upon all men, and we have no idea. We have no idea when that, when that will be. The consequences of sin will affect all of us, whether you're wealthy or poor, whether you're young or old. And so don't lose sight of the fact that we live in a sinful world that is affected daily by the sinfulness of man. So as we finish up then, I want us to examine this man's faith. We read about this noble man. He comes, he comes to Jesus. And so I want us to examine his faith in this scenario with Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 47. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The first thing I want you to see about this man is he heard about Jesus. He heard about Jesus. You know, I believe he heard about Jesus and that he was the son of a carpenter. I believe that he heard about Jesus and the, 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 um, there at Cana of Galilee when he turned the water into wine. I believe that he heard about Jesus there at the feast and there in, the, in Jerusalem. And, and he began to hear the stories about this, this man called Jesus and, and about his abilities. And so he was intrigued. Maybe he had curiosity. He wondered and then it transitioned to having, having a crisis. So we sec see, secondly, that he came to Jesus with a need. He came to Jesus with a need. You know, God often brings great trials, some great crisis, some great tragedy into a person's life to get them to look to Christ. We've seen this over and over where a person gets to the place where he, he has no other place to turn, no, no other place to go where he's brought, he's brought to Jesus. Maybe that's been you in your life. Maybe that's you even today where you don't have anywhere else to turn because of what's going on in your life. And, and so you showed up at church and you're looking for a help and solution. This man had, had a great need. He heard that Jesus could do great things. He heard that this Jesus could, could maybe, maybe help him. And so then we see that Jesus, as he approaches him, Jesus gives him this, this test in verse 48. Jesus said unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Seems as Jesus is testing him to see if he's like all these other people that are around him. This guy's asking for, his, for Jesus to do, this, to do this miracle. And as he's asking him, Jesus says to him, if I don't do this, Will you, not, will you not believe? You see, he's coming to Jesus because he has a problem. His great problem is his need to have his sins forgiven. But he's coming to Jesus and saying, I want you to, to heal my son. And so he says to him, he goes, if I, the only way you're going to really believe in me is if, is if I give you, give you what you want. 
He says there, except ye see these signs and wonders. He transitions. He says to the man, you, and then he transitions and says ye, which is a plural word. And I can imagine these other people are around. And he says, you're all here to see this show. You're all here to see what I'm going to, to do. And the truth is, is unbelievers, as we've mentioned, they don't come to God because they love them. They don't come to God because they they. They want their sins forgiven. They realize who they are. But they come to God oftentimes to see the signs and wonders. But I want you to notice then, as Jesus questions him, this man's response. He doesn't even comment on what Jesus says. He says in verse um, 49, The noble man saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus challenges him, and instead of defending himself, instead of um, trying to convince Jesus about his faith, he says, just, just come. Just come. In verse 50, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. What is remarkable about this is that the man had asked Jesus to come, and when Jesus tells him to go and your son will live, he, he, simply, he simply believed. He simply trusted. You know, so the guy came to Jesus with a plan, with an idea of what he wanted. And what he wanted wasn't what Jesus was going to do. And yet the man believed. So many of us come to God and come to Christ with what our expectations and our laundry list of, okay, you need to do this and you need to do that and, and this is what I want. And, and, and what Christ tells us is, listen, here's what you need. This is what I'm going to do because this is, this is what you need. You see, you often think that your greatest need is whatever that physical issue. Maybe it's your son to be healed. Maybe it's your light bill to be paid. Maybe it's your rent or maybe it's food. Maybe it's water. You often think that's what your greatest need is. And what Christ says is what God says to us is your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. You need to get over yourself and look to Jesus and turn from your sin and receive him as your savior. I want you to see then after he responds, Christ tells him, go and, and, and your son lives Look what the Bible tells us here, beginning in verse 51. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And then notice this. He believed. He believed and his whole house. He came to Jesus looking for, to get his needs met. And Jesus challenges his faith. Listen, it's not about what you want or what you believe. It's about who I am and what I can offer you and what I can truly do. So this is what you need to do. And so the man said, okay, this is what I need. And he went back. He believed. And because he believed, and because he had this faith, his whole house believed. The point is, of this whole story, the point is, is that he saw Jesus. He come to know Jesus for who he is. 
He's not just someone that can, to t- can take care of your needs, though he can do that. He's not just someone that can do great miracles. He is the one that came to save you from your sins. Faith. We use that word a lot. A lot of times we talk about being people of faith. But you know, that's, a, that's an interesting statement. Faith in what? Faith in, faith in who? You see, the reality is it's not about, it's not about believing. It's about the object of your faith. It's about believing in Jesus. It's about believing that he is who he says he is. It's about believing that he came to do what he said he was going to do. And that's dying on the cross for your sin. Many people today say, ah, I believe in God. And you know what? They're lost in their sin on their way to hell. Because they've created their God. They've made God and church into what they want it to be instead of coming to the Bible and seeing who God says he is. And, and seeing how God says that you're going to come to him. It's not by works of righteousness. It's not in our way and, and in our plan. It's but in the way that he prescribed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved you so much. God loved you so much that he gave Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin. And can I tell you this? That was enough to pay for your sin. That was enough to pay for your sin. It's not Christ plus baptism. It's not Christ plus the church. It's not Christ plus your good works. Christ and Christ alone was enough and is only enough to pay for your sin. Why'd you come to church today? If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you're not a believer, why'd you come today? Was it because you think it's going to help you get to heaven? Was it because you're just curious about what those Christians do over there? Was it you had nothing else to do on a beautiful day when the golf courses are open? I mean, why'd you come? Are you going through a tragedy? Jesus can do signs and wonders. He can do miracles. And the greatest miracle is when he saves you from your sins.